Welcome to the Race to Rugby World Cup pod with Ron and Adam from the side of the road, somewhere on the planet. Race to Rugby World Cup pod. Um, today we have a special guest with us who Ron will introduce in a few minutes. But uh, it's, quite a, it's quite exciting because it's not only someone who's involved in rugby and played rugby for many years, but as someone who's using the sport to basically change the world. Um, and yeah, we, we raising money for this uh, child fund rugby and yeah, this is the man behind <laughs> all of yeah. the good. Chris Mastaglio, have I pronounced it correctly? I've got the correct number of vowels. It's close enough. It's close, close enough. enough. No yeah. worries. Um, Director of Sport for Development for Child Fund, if I'm not mistaken, or the full title. Yep. Um, but most importantly, the brainchild and the founder of Child Fund Pass back in Child Fund Rugby. Um, thank you for joining us. This is genuinely a great thrill. We're looking forward to this conversation and uh, tell us where we are. What are we up to? Yeah, well, first of all, welcome to Phnom Penh, guys. It's great to have you here in uh, Cambodia. Um, it's, you know, reminding me back to 2019 when we bumped into each other in, uh, in Laos, in London, yeah. in Japan. And it's great to, great to see you, Ron. And, you know, Adam, it's been great to meet you over the last, over the last few days. Yeah. Good. And, uh, and Chris, too, I mean, we've got so much to talk about. And, uh, but I think let's start at where we are currently. Um, you've been in Cambodia for the last 18 months or so. And just uh, what have you been up to? And what's, um, what's, the prog- what's been happening on the ground there? I know it's obviously been a tough time with COVID. But, uh, yeah, look, so the, the program, as you said, started about 18 months ago. Um, it's, been, it's been a pretty tough time everywhere, I think, for, you know, for our sport, for development work, but for sport in general, you yeah. know getting people together, having competitions, events. It's been really difficult, not, not only at the elite level, but at the community level as well. So COVID's been a big challenge, I think, for, for everyone. Um, and it's really slowed down the work here in Cambodia. Obviously, we, we just started, we trained a group of coaches and then everything went online. So, you know, we had to retrain coaches. We had to retrain them through the magic of Zoom. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to get kids together online, making sure that the, the environment's safe online is a, is a big, big challenge in this, in this part of the world, in many parts of the world. Uh, so that 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 whole pivot was a big challenge for our team, but uh, you know they they rose to the rose to the challenge. The yeah. coaches did a great job. Our union partners did a great job. So we're, we're just so happy now that things are starting to open up and we're moving back to to face to face. Yeah, and you've been enjoying living in a new city, a bit of a different unplanned extended stay here. Yeah, look, it's been it's been pretty interesting. A little bit frustrating not knowing the language. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I've yeah. been comfortable in Laos because I've been there for the last sort of twenty years. Yeah. Um, but it, it's been it's been good here, you know, meeting the team, meeting new partners, um, being involved in a coach training, which is something yeah. I haven't done for probably two or three years. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. Um, so it, that that was really, really you know really good experience to do that again. Talking about that coach training, can I just from a someone who's new to the the charity is like call it sticking the spade in the ground. The first step you come into Cambodia, what does day one look like? Um, when you arrive in, in a new country to set this program up? So, I mean, one of the key things is, re- is really building those strong relationships with the unions. Um, so that, that takes time, that takes investment. Um, so that's really important around the sort of creating the environment for things to be successful. Um, but I think once we actually start working, you know, we've selected a group of young people who are interested, usually who know nothing about rugby, yeah. uh, but are really interested in supporting their communities, supporting leadership in their communities, addressing um, addressing some of the gender inequalities they see in their communities. Um, that experience of taking those coaches from not knowing anything to being really competent at delivering, you know, both rugby and life skills learning, that journey is always really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, getting to work with those young people for five, six, seven, eight days uh, in what's quite an intense process. Yeah. 
um, is always really, really inspiring. So it's been it's been great here in, in Cambodia. You know, we did our training in um, earlier in March. Yeah. Um, and just working with those young people and watching them grow, watching them, you know, be confident. And hopefully this afternoon you guys are going to see them deliver some deliver some sessions yeah. to the to the DHL team um, and I, I hope you yeah I hope you enjoy that experience particularly after seeing the coaches in Vietnam you know who've been going for six or seven years yeah. this is a new batch of coaches it's one of their first coaching engagements yeah um, but but uh, yeah they're really yeah really inspiring young people oh yeah and it's uh, every engagement we've had and I've been lucky enough the last two or three years and uh, Adam it's just it's we always walk away inspired um, so I think that's it's a bit of an update where we are now but if we can just cast back into Chris's life. How have you ended up here? Um, what was your, 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 I mean, can you give us a little bit of background on your rugby journey? I know you played at a very high level um, and just how you became involved in, well, just well, in the work you're doing now, but I mean, I know you've been working for basically children's, various children's organizations your whole career. Uh, can we just go back to, back to the beginning a little bit, yeah. Yeah, sure, look, I mean, this is, I had a, um, I had a geography teacher who, um, had spent time in Zimbabwe. Oh, right. Um, and so he was like when I was 13 or 14 and his stories used to just like, they used to fascinate me, yeah. right? I was so interested. You know, I grew up in a working class part of the north of England, it's a bit rough, Yeah. Um, not a lot of diversity. And the stories he used to tell me, I just remember being really fascinated. And of course, he was a rugby player, Yeah. Uh, which which also helped. He was my coach, in fact, for some time okay. when, I was, when I was young. Um, and I, I don't know, he just triggered something about me wanting to know more about the world and also just the um, that inequality of opportunity that people have in other yeah. parts of the world. And I just grew up with a, a sense of like, that's that's not fair, like that's not right. Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, it's thinking about how do you how do you do something about that? Because it's such a big, such a big issue, right? Yes, like yeah. how, how, how much can one person do? Um, but that really sort of guided my studies. It guided where I wanted to go in terms of in terms of work. Um, so I finished my uh, finished my masters in in rural development. Um, you know, where played, was that, Chris? Where did you um, do that? In Norwich, in the in yeah. the southeast of England. Um, you know, playing rugby all through my all through my university yeah. career. Um, I was looking forward to maybe spending a year or two to see how far I could go with rugby. But I got a nasty injury uh, at the back end of my master's degree. So I was on a on a set of crutches for six months. Oh wow! What, what, what happened? Um, you know, it's one of those things. As always, yeah. we just just got to the semi-finals. I think of the uh, the university competitions. We had a weekend off. A mate rang me up and said, "We've got a thirds game. Do you fancy a run out?" Yeah, it happens I every said, time. Yeah, sure. No, no worries. Why not? What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst <laughs> that can happen? And it was a muddy day. You know, nothing, nothing much. Somebody just sort of hit me at the at the wrong angle. I think at the yeah. wrong time, and I just remember going. Oh yeah, oh. that's not so good. Definitely, definitely bust my leg. And I remember lying oh. on the ground. All the boys said, "Hope you're all right." Move to the next pitch to continue yeah. the game. I could see the hospital from where I was, oh. and uh, three hours. The ambulance got stuck in the mud. Oh, no. <laughs> like the longest three hours of my <laughs> oh, life. My waiting to get to the hospital for them to straighten my straighten my foot. Oh my goodness! Um, so you know that was uh, these things happen, right? Yeah. Um, and that was sort of the end of. I guess trying to play at a at a good level. What position were you playing? Um, I was playing in the centres that day. It was yeah. a great day out. Yeah. Till that happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and that sort of just you know that sort of moved me from the the rugby focus to more about okay how can I use sport in in the work that I want to do, uh, working with with children, working with young people with that focus really on child rights and, and child participation. And how did sport, but sport for I mean sport for development as a concept, this is going back when we when are we looking? What sort of years is this now? Roughly? I mean that's like early two thousand so two thousand and two is when I worked first first worked overseas. Yeah, and, yeah. and sport for development was it something that was uh, I mean was it like in part of your studies and your course was it something that was part of the curriculum? Was it something that you just identified as being an opportunity? Um, what was that sort of, how did that sort of, the connection between rugby and, and sort of, and the development world sort of? Yeah, look, I think even now in the in the development space, it's still it's still pretty new actually. Yeah. And I think it's still, a, it's still a bit of a challenge because I think, you know, there's two big challenges. I think some people in the development side don't take it seriously. Yeah. Um, because it's sport and it's kids having a good time. And yeah. That's important, but actually you can use it if you design your work to use it in yeah. a particular way. You can yeah. achieve really good things. And I think also sometimes sport is, it's a bit of its own worst enemy and that it's like if you, you know, you touch the ball, you will magically become a better person. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. And that's true for many people, but yeah. also a lot of people have bad experiences in sport. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't want to talk about that. So I think the sport for development is really, we want to create that positive space so that kids who are engaged, they're always having a good experience. Yeah. They're always feeling safe with their coaches. They're always treated with respect. They're always in a, in a really positive environment. Mm. And you have to work to create that. It doesn't happen doesn't happen by magic, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Just by pulling out a football or yeah. rugby ball or a cricket bat. That's right, so this exactly. So magically turn everything, everything okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, a, a lot of the work we do is just around, it's around creating that environment, but also I think around using that sport really intentionally to to deliver learning outcomes. So as you know, a lot of our work is really focusing on, on gender equality yeah. and how we can address some of those, um, some of the root causes of, of gender inequality in yeah. communities and have coaches sort of uh, contextualize the learning for their situation because it's a really complex topic and yeah. it, it shows complex. itself in really different ways in different, different communities, yeah. you know. Um, and I think that's one of the strengths of the work is that those young people that are working as coaches, they're all in the communities. Yeah. So they understand the situation really well. Yeah. So if you equip them with the skills, um, they're able to, to use those and take it forward, you know? And those skills are almost universal. I mean, obviously circumstances will be different, but the, the skills and the tools are generally universally, you, you know, are, are universal in their, in their nature, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's true. And we've, we've seen that, you know, since the... The work started in the last sort of eight or nine years ago in yeah. five villages. It was really small. We've now sort of scaled up and replicated that model. And, and you know, if you go to a coach training in Laos and Vietnam and Fiji and South Africa, yeah. you'll see it's the same process. Yeah. So yeah. it is contextualized a little to, to different, you know, cultural contexts, different yeah. languages. But actually the process is the same. So yeah. And I think that's also one of the strengths when coaches meet each other from across countries, yeah. they've all gone through that same experience. Yeah, yeah. So, that's you know, powerful, they know the yeah. same terminology, the same words, they yeah. understand the same learning processes. Uh, that, that in itself is really, really powerful because people can connect, they understand. Yeah. And know? even if you can't deliver a session just because of the language, I mean, you could actually, you could deliver a session in any country uh, aside from the language. That's right. And yeah. they're delivering the same sessions in each country, right? Yeah, so yeah, a coach yeah. can watch a session and like you said, maybe not understand the language, yeah. but they're like, okay, no, exactly I know what happening. this drill is. I yeah. know what this exercise is. I know what the discussion is about now. I know the learning objective that that coach is trying to get to. So that in itself, I think is really, it's really important because that, that cross, cross country learning has been a really, a really key part of our program. And that's been really difficult, of course, with COVID. Yeah. But I mean, here in Cambodia, when we did start 18 months ago, the lead trainer was 
um, a coach from Vietnam who entered the program six six years ago. Wow, so Huyen, who you, I'm sure you yeah. met when you were in uh, in Hua Binh. Yeah. Like she is an incredible human being, mm -hmm. and she came here. She led the training for coaches in Cambodia. You know, working through a Vietnamese Khmer translator, and you know, six years ago she was new to the new to the work. Um, so she's, those, no, those stories, in, yep, it's unbelievable. It, it is, and you know, never traveled before the program. Yeah, wow. um, she was a farmer and a mother. That was what she did. Yeah, um, and she's just gone from strength to strength. You know, she's now. She's supervising coaches. She's leading trainings overseas. Like it's just, it's really amazing to see the journey of, of these people through oh. the through the program. You know. Oh, Chris, I'm just so talking about going back to the journey. So once you finished your masters, um, what was your sort of the next? What was your sort of first job, or what was your first sort of step into the real world? I guess after your after the academia. Yeah. So once I finished, I, I was lucky enough to get a job in um, in Afghanistan. So yeah. I, I spent uh, I spent nearly three years there. And this is now obviously um, early 2000s, so it's, yep. uh, I mean, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> a lot going on. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, when I arrived, it was the sort of post-election high, so there was a lot of positivity. Um, but over that period I was there, you know, you could see that sort of sort of draining away because it's, the situation's yeah. pretty, it's pretty complex there. Yeah. Um, so I was working for an organization there, you know, using, um, using sport as a tool, play and recreation as a tool to get kids uh, get kids moving, um, yeah. get them engaged, working with each other, uh, working in, at that time, what was the biggest uh, internally displaced persons camp in the world. Wow, whereabouts in um, Afghanistan was that? In Herat, so okay, on yeah. the on the Iranian border. Um, and, you know, it's such a, such a lot of learning from my side to do that. Um, also, you know, but going from Norwich to Herat, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, if you're looking for an event, I mean, if you're looking for an adventure, yeah. and wow, yeah, it was it was quite a quite a change, and I think I hadn't travelled a lot up until that period. So I'd done my thesis I'd done in Malawi, so I'd spent a few, a few I, uh, months in Malawi uh, doing my research for my thesis, but I actually hadn't travelled a lot. You yeah. know, like I said, I'm from a working class Northern English family. We occasionally like. We went to Scotland on holiday. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what we did. Um, Blackpool or something. Yeah. yeah so yeah. it was, you know, it was really, really eye-opening. And as you yeah. can imagine, that that cultural immersion somewhere wow. that's so different compared to where I grew up was yeah. pretty, um, it was pretty full on. Yeah. Um, but obviously, a really good experience professionally and also personally. You know. And Chris, just out of interest, I mean, how did you obviously had some expectations of what you were? I mean, how did you, do you remember your expectations compared to the reality? Like in underestimating or overestimating certain things just of your experience in Afghanistan? You, I mean, you know, I didn't know a lot about that part of the world before I went. So okay. I went with the really like really white eyes. Okay, yeah. Um, and it was just it was gonna be what it was gonna be. Yeah. Um, it was only initially twelve months at the beginning. Oh, so okay, I yeah. you know it's it's only twelve months, right? Yeah. Um but I, I really enjoyed it. Um I, I did find it difficult at times I think particularly the security situation obviously as it yeah. sort of mm. deteriorated over time that that's a it's a challenge to be in that situation i yeah. think but as an individual do you find yourself under a certain level of stress all the time or yeah I, I think so and i think you know you're you're living and working in the same place with the same people all of the time yeah um so it is it is quite a stressful environment and i think you're you know you're constantly concerned about what's going on with colleagues with the communities you work in who yeah. have much more exposure to some of the some of the challenges there yeah. than you do as a you know, as a privileged international in your compound yeah, a lot yeah, of the time. Yeah. Um, so it was, 
Yeah, it was it was a really really good experience. I still have a lot of um, I still have a lot of love for Afghanistan. I'd yeah. love to go back sometime. Yeah. Um, it was the you know first time I had a decent stab at learning another language. Yeah. Um, I felt really really comfortable there, but I think after after three years, it was I needed to needed to move. So, yeah. Yeah. And then what happened then? Um, I came on holiday to Laos. All oh, right. And uh, 20 years later, I'm still. Wow, I didn't realize there. that. So that was started off as a holiday. I did. So I met my, uh, I met my partner in Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, and uh, she left. We met up, and then she's a Thai Lao uh, major with her language. So she's yeah. like, "Let's go to Thailand and Laos." And I was like, "Sure, why not?" Sounds nice. It's you know, nice and exotic. Never yeah. been. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and we went, and we ended up staying there for yeah, until now. So. Wow, that yeah. is crazy. <laughs> um, and the first time that the idea of pass back. Um, sort of came to you and how did that sort of process come about? How did it sort of Look, in Afghanistan, I, because I sort of, you know, I'm really passionate about rugby. Yeah. My, my leg had sort of healed up enough to be able to run around a bit and, and I wanted to play. Yeah. Um, and there was no, there was nothing in Afghanistan to do that, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, so I, I did work in Herat, obviously being fortunate enough to be working in sport as it was. Yeah. I was able to get a group of people together. You know, we played a bit of touch um, okay. against the, you know, the local army guys or against uh, yeah. the, the diplomats or whoever happened to be in town so yeah that was sort of really my first experience of like building something from the ground yeah when there's no you know no experience of it no knowledge of it yeah um, and it was just really interesting to see how people responded to to the sport you know so completely something completely foreign yeah. to them yeah. something new but people you know people like to play they like to have fun they like yeah. to move um, and I think if you provide a good structure and an environment to do that, then people tend to thrive. So yeah. it was really interesting. Uh, you know, I worked with a group of probably 15 guys for probably 18 months, you know, oh, and we, wow. we trained once a week. Um, we never had any chance to go anywhere to play, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we couldn't do that. But <laughs> Very well prepared for any it, match that did come about. It was great. Yeah. Like people came down, they were yeah. regular, they had a great time. Um, and that was sort of my first experience, I think, of doing that rugby sort of development at the grassroots level yeah. because before that I'd only ever played yeah yeah um so that that change for me was really interesting and just watching those young men sort of you know go through that journey of learning a new sport oh. you know meeting new mates we were working across different ethnic groups no one cared about it because yeah. we were just there to play yeah and it you know it just sort of it sort of triggered something about oh you know there's probably something here in terms of how can you how can you design a program that, that harnesses all those good things about sport um, and, and you know, measures and evidences them? Because that's one of the key things as a development practitioner, right? We need yeah. to evidence, we need to show yeah. not just Impact good stories, we need to show impact, yeah. right? And we need, we need data to do that. So it, it, sort of, it sort of triggered something. And then, you know, I moved, to, I moved to Laos. I think I arrived on a Thursday and on Thursday night I was... <laughs> club having a run around my partner at the time was like it's the only reason you've agreed to go you know because there's a rugby club there yeah um and that was a that was a really interesting experience you know to to be i guess involved in that that at that time it was pretty much exclusively internationals yep yep um and that i found a little bit unusual yeah, okay. going to a new country and mm. there being all of these sort of white guys running around playing rugby when there was like another six million people <laughs> in the country and I was that sort of that was new to me yeah, yeah. Um, because I'd not been in that environment before um, 
And, you know, we're at a place now in, in Laos where the Federation there is just doing amazing work. I mean, they've got 3,000 players. They've got more than 100 coaches. It's recognized by the government. Like, it's a really model union. Full, full world rugby membership, Asia rugby membership. Like, it's come on so much since that... Yeah. That arrival sort of 20, 20 years ago, I reckon. Wow. And then just, as you say, it started off like some enthusiastic expats who were sort of reliving their youth and <laughs> running around in there. Yeah, and I mean, me too. I was straight in there. Yeah, you know? I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I used to be great before I, had a, before I damaged my leg, you oh, know? Yeah. And it was, you know, and that, <laughs> yeah. that, that whole experience is, it was really interesting for me, you know? But like the idea of being in a club in Vieng Chan and yeah. oh, we're going to Bangkok to play a competition this weekend. Yeah. We're going to care to play a competition next weekend like that was just so foreign to me you know from where i grew up and where i played yeah uh, but it was such a such an amazing experience to to be part of that and then to you know see a lot of the the lao players that i sort of played with who are now in coaching roles who are now like development managers yeah. like it's been great to see that that journey of, of so many of those 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 lao players you know uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Chris. I, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's so many. Well, in some ways, some similar similarities. I think about Mart's first time I arrived in Asia, in Bangkok. Didn't know a single soul. Also, Thursday, Googled local rugby club. Oh, this club called Southerners come down for a, a, a hit out Saturday. You're playing with them, and all of a sudden, you have got a community of people from around the world. You know, you're born up in South Africa, and all my teammates there were always sort of English-speaking white South African males. And all of a sudden, like now, you're in the sort of much more um, diverse uh, team and then you, you know, next thing you're playing the tournament and you know, at Phuket or Patia or you're playing the Ventian tournament and, and you tell your mates back home they've got no idea <laughs> so we take our sports so rugby so seriously in South Africa we kind of forget about the, the fun of it so it's yeah. um, uh, I mean Chris just in terms of you talk about gender equality and opportunities um, what is the I mean obviously when you when you started playing with the, in, 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 in Laos um, I guess most of the players there were, were, were guys were, were as say international men. Um, what was the when did you when did you first sort of say you know we, let's use this as a sport to start getting girls involved in rugby that this is a sort of gender neutral sport and we sort of how did that process because I'm I'm always I love telling people whenever I meet them talk about child fund that Laos and Vietnam that the only two countries in the world and to correct me if I'm wrong where there's more female participation in rugby than male. Yeah, that, uh, that's and, right. I mean the the and that's incredible. I think that's the just, female participation across the the partnerships that we've got in Laos and Vietnam yeah. particularly. It's, you know, 60, 65% of coaches and 55% of players or something, I think yeah. it is now. Um, look, there's a, there was, I think one of the interesting things about that work that started in Laos, like I said, we started sort of in the north of Laos and those five sort of really rural communities. Yeah. At that time, Child Fund, we were doing sort of, we had a, a really small project that was using soccer, um, rugby, uh, tecra and volleyball. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was a six-week pilot, you know, play some sport, learn some leadership skills. It wasn't very well well formulated at yeah. that time. But we noticed that the the rugby component of that, for some reason, had like 80% of girls participating. And it's really obvious now I look at it, but at that time we were like, we don't understand why is that? Like yeah. why, you've got four sports to choose from. Why did all of the girls go to, to that sport? Yeah. And it was, like I said, it's obvious now. They had female coaches. Yeah. All of the other sports didn't have female coaches. They had young coaches, so the players could relate to the mm -hmm. coaches. They weren't 50-year-old men yeah. who'd been, you know, yeah. maybe are not good coaches, but are good teachers. Yeah. Um, 
And the women that were coaching them were also from the same ethnic group, so they could speak the language of the kids. Wow. So, like, this was by total accident. It's, it's so obvious, right? Yeah, but yeah. we didn't plan it like that. Yeah. But then, of course, we looked at the data and we went back in and we were like, well, why is this happening? And then we did this research piece and it's like, yeah, it's, pretty, ob- it, yeah. it's pretty obvious, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You know, if you have female coaches, probably girls are going to want to play. Yeah. They speak the language and they understand the culture. They're probably going to want to play. And we really... We started scaling that up, you know. We managed to secure a little bit, a little bit of funding. So we went from those sort of five villages, I think, to fifteen villages, and it was the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and and by this time, you now you went down that you were going down the rugby road. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, so just to go back a little bit, I think I, I seem to remember having a chat to well, James. And, yeah, obviously, when you're not cycling around the world together, you talk a lot. But I seem to remember James also just saying that because rugby was this new sport, there was no like ownership. So the boys would like say, oh, soccer's a boy's sport or volleyball's for boys. But all of a sudden there was this sport that no one really knew. And that was another reason that the girls said, okay, well, let's sort of, you know, we'll, t- we'll, we'll take a bit of ownership of that sport. Is that, is that am I? Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. Is element of that as well? One, yeah. of the, one of the key findings of the research was, was exactly that. Like there's, there's a whole lot of sort of pre-knowledge about volleyball, tech football, because yeah. they're sports that everyone's seen or maybe has played rugby nobody knew like nobody had seen it nobody knew anything about it so it's really hard as a what tends to happen is that boys say to girls are you maybe you don't know how to play or you're not doing it right or this is how you do it yeah but actually nobody knew so it created that really equal space and the the girls that we were working with they they took that space right like 80 percent it was in that pilot um and that that's i think something that's really it's interesting to explore because that's actually relevant for a lot of countries yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. It's been different for us in our experience in Fiji and Samoa, where rugby is, everybody already knows it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're dealing with a different, you're dealing with a different set of challenges there where it's really seen as a, as a man's game and it's not a space for women. Whereas in Laos and Vietnam, that's, it's very different because nobody, nobody knows what it is. So yeah. you can, if you create that environment, you can, you can shape what that environment looks like. So yeah. if your environment is inclusive, you have a lot of girls involved. Yeah. You have a lot of female coaches. coaches that yeah. becomes normal, yeah. right? Yeah. That's that's normal. And then eventually you get role models, and then it just yeah, yeah. It just goes crazy. Yeah. Exactly right, and yeah. that that for me is like that is really powerful to yeah. be able to do that, and it's something I think rugby as a sport should think more about. Yeah. Because as a sport, you want to grow, you want to get more people involved. Yeah. Um, there's a space there I think that, yeah. that can be taken. Well, and missing that, half the world's population, basically. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, that's right, in Asia, it's a, lo- yeah. it's a lot of people and yeah. a lot of people looking for opportunities to play, to learn. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I think back to the first, one of the first uh, Asia rugby meetings I attended with, with representatives from Vietnam, um, uh, a young woman called Lan, who's also still still working as a coach. And I remember we were at the meeting um, and she sort of tapped me on the shoulder through an interpreter and she's like, why are there no women here? Yeah. And, you know, she said, I think I should tell them about Vietnam. They should come to see in Vietnam because wow. we, have, we have women yeah. at all levels of our work in Vietnam. I think they need to come to Vietnam. <laughs> and it was just like... <laughs> Yeah, I think actually maybe I think you should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really interesting because for her it was yeah. normal. Yeah. In rugby, you have you have women and girls yeah. because that's all that's what she knows. Yeah. Um. So there's a there's a lot I think that can be can be learned from that thing. experience, yeah. you know, and how you can create that environment. Um, and you know we're seeing that big growth in women's sports across yeah. the world now, not only yeah. in rugby. Yeah. Like there's there's a lot of opportunity there, you know. Yeah. Um. And I I think sometimes we forget about. The countries and the communities where it's not a 
yeah. it's not a well-known sport, yeah. but they still provide a really good opportunity. That's to always grow. more of an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So. Uh, and Chris, sorry, just to, I mean, I think for people that haven't, I mean, a lot of people probably listening to this are quickly looking on Google Maps where Lao is, um, and particularly Northern Lao. Can you just sort of just give people a bit of an idea of what, what that part of the world is like and some of the challenges that young people face there, and particularly young girls? Yeah, look, it's, it's a... It's rural and remote, I think. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of diversity. So one of the one of the big challenges in, in Laos, particularly in the area that we, we've been working, is around early marriage. Yeah. Um, so this is a this is a, a challenge for everybody, but yeah. obviously impacts girls pretty significantly. Yeah. Um, so that that when we first started, that was a really big challenge for a lot of our coaches. So working with young coaches at 15 or 16. Nearly always the female coaches would drop out at sort of 16 or 17 due to marriage. Yeah. So it was really difficult for them to be married and to be a coach. Yeah. Why is that, Chris? Just the social pressures. So yeah. the, the cultural norm there is that once you're married, you go to live with the husband's family. Yeah. And your job is then as a, as a provider and as a, as a homekeeper. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a real challenge to do both of those things. But over three or four years, we managed to get those role models still remember the first woman who was married and coached and then the next year we had two or three and then the next year we had five or six and the same then it was a challenge around having kids yeah. so yeah we had married women in the program but as soon as they had kids they left yeah. and then after one year we got one had a kid and came back to coaching and the next year we had two three and you know it's just that that snowball effect but it, it takes time yeah and it takes i think it also takes investment which is one of the really key things that that long-term work yeah um you can't you can't challenge those things in in a year yeah yeah um it takes time and these are like norms that are just so in in in, in um, embedded in those communities and to try and yeah it's just you're changing yeah, you know, it's not. It's not. Yeah, you know, I mean, changing cultural norms. Yeah, and, it, and it's. Yeah, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. So. Yeah, that's that's right. And you know, we look back on our own history in the UK or in South Africa. Yeah. You can see the huge change that's happened. Yeah. Over, but over years, right? Not yeah. over weeks. Yeah, it yeah. takes time. So, yeah. um, I think it's it's really important to be able to to invest that time and to be, you know, building those partnerships for a long time because it it does it just takes time. Yeah, exactly. To go into a, a you know a. a a month pilot and try and prove if something works or not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't work at all. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. And a lot of people, you know, they're looking for that quick, yeah. quick return. Yeah, and yeah. I, you know, I understand that we're yeah. all impatient. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's really tough if you want to get past just counting the numbers. Yeah. And you want to actually show that you've made some change. Yeah. It, it takes time. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, some of the role models we have in the in the partnerships now, particularly in Laos, you know, um, I'll talk maybe about Lao Kang, yeah. who who you've met, you know. Forbes, 30 under 30, like just an incredible, incredible human being. And the, the challenges she's gone through to to be where she is. Yeah. She's now married with kids, yeah. coaching, supervising coaches, yeah. playing, like just amazing. And she has inspired a whole generation yeah. of new players from from her community, you know, from, yeah. from her community. Would, would you have any indication on how her family reacts to it? You know, because I'd, I'd sense that her first step of confidence is going into chat to her husband and the husband's family and her family and say this i want to have children i want to marry this person and i want to work yeah um do, do you have any idea? yeah look i mean lao, lao kang will speak much more eloquently about it yeah, than i yeah. can and has done on many occasions but it, it was a 
you know, it was a challenge for her to balance all of that. Um, um, it, it's uh, it, it's it's a challenge, I think, in 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 her community to to manage all of that. Um, I think because she started so young in the program, so as a player, I think at 14, before she became a coach at 16, and then has sort of continued. Mm-hmm. I think that that's you know that's provided her with some of the tools to be able to negotiate, to be able to discuss. That's part of the work that's that exactly. we do, that's right? Exactly Amazing. right. So and and she is a she is a strong person. <laughs> so she's uh, she's sort of claimed that space. Um, but I mean, it's certainly you know when she she's talked about it many times when she first became a coach and she moved to Vientiane the talk in her village was oh, she's going to the city she must be a sex worker and she has to deal with that stigma yeah. from her community about people that's your assumption that seeing, your, your yeah. neighbors and your family and your community yeah. that's their first assumption and it's yeah. really you know it's it's a really tight community right like it's a really tight community and yeah. to have people talking in that way and to be strong enough to say well actually I'm I'm still going to go and do it yeah um, like that's just yeah oh, and, oh, it's so hard to imagine that you what know? a trailblazer yeah. I mean, yeah and I mean she'll never you know have, it, have obviously the privilege and the pleasure of meeting her I just it's a, it, for her to comprehend the impact that she's made and I mean it, it's just it, it boggles the mind it just blows the mind it's, and um, when you yeah, it's just you people like you were inspired and you had a mentor, you know, of your your, your geography teacher, and that, that one person made an impact on your life, and that led you, you down a career path that has led to you starting this organization mm-hmm. and introducing people like La Kang. And, and the impact, like the ripple effect of one motivated, inspiring teacher to your fourteen-year-old Chris in Newcastle, mm-hmm. um, the ripple effect to setting up Child Fund. The ripple effects of these coaches going into their communities—it's just, I mean, the power of role models, and it's just amazing, isn't it? It's just, I've, yeah. it's just, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it's been, it's been really, you know, I, it's been really incredible to be part of that mm-hmm. and for to see so many young people across all of these countries yeah. sort of doing that, like inspiring their communities, yeah. working with kids, doing amazing things. You know, I was getting Facebook posts last night about the coaches doing a fundraiser to try and get some kids to a competition. Like yeah. it's all independent of child fund. Like yeah, that's yeah. the community group is doing that because yeah. they value it, right? Yeah. Not because Someone child fund it. said yeah. they had to do it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, so exactly. I, I think that's been a really, a really interesting journey from that sort of originally, you know, actually doing the work. Yeah. Now we don't, we don't do any of the work. We partner and our yeah. partners actually do all the yeah. work. And our job is really just about providing the the support, sometimes the access to resources, yeah. sometimes access to training, the technical component, yeah. uh, that interface between, you know, big donors and a small yeah. national federation. Sometimes it's useful to have somebody in between to help with that. Um, but really the, the work is done by the, it's done by the coaches and it's done by the unions. Yes. And, you know, like you said, they're starting to, that impact is starting to sort of, it's starting to spread out, yeah. you know, more countries, more communities, mm-hmm. that sort of global recognition by, by colleagues oh. at World Rugby around yeah. Rugby World Cup 2019. You know, we've been talking for a long time yeah. about, look, this works, this is a good model. Yeah. Um, and, you know, eventually in, in 2018, we managed to get that, that partnership for, for Japan. Well, every step of the journey, there's, there's a common perseverance and grit. <laughs> it seems yeah. to be a common theme. I think, no, it's awesome. And, and it's, it's significant because it's survived, uh, you know, COVID really ended a lot of things in, in the world and yeah. uh, well, I'm safe to say we're sitting here still raising money for the program yeah. um, and you know 
businesses and programs and charities that survived over COVID are the ones that had genuine purpose and genuine interest. And it's, it's that newfound energy that is like, I'm not, I'm not quitting. I'm not stopping. Yeah. We just keep going, keep going. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what is your what's the, what's what's next in the world of child fund rugby? What's your what's your vision for 2030 or vision for 2025? Or how, do you, you know, how much are you happy to share and sort of discuss that? Yeah, look, I, I think the we're pretty comfortable now with the the sort of model and the impact that delivers, and we, I feel we've done enough. Um, We've done enough partnerships in different countries to show that yeah you need to contextualize but actually it, it works yeah whether yeah. that's laos fiji south africa wherever it might yeah. be so I, I think there's a really there's a really big opportunity there to sort of provide unions with access to that that expertise to be able to roll out those programs yeah. the the space i really think that we are looking to sort of support is the so unions are generally really strong at their sport development, which is really important. Yeah. We've all been in that environment. Yeah. We yeah. want to be the best player we can be. Yeah. But there is that other strand where there's that sport for development where you're really, you're tackling some of the challenges in your community and you're using sport to do that. Yeah. So, and that's not about producing elite players. Yeah. You might, yeah. but that's not the purpose yeah. of it. Correct. Um, but I think that's a really important space for sport to be in, particularly in, in the world that we're in today. We yeah. have a lot of challenges. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think for sport to to not be um, tackling those in a really sort of rigorous, incredible way, I think is a missed opportunity. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm really hoping that we can we can work to to rule that out and you know our, our real focus is on that on that issues around gender, gender yeah. inequality and gender based violence. Those yeah. are issues everywhere in the world oh, you're talking to two south africans where it's yeah the, yeah. the gender-based violence is just it's off the charts yeah and and um, you know sport can be a really powerful tool when it's as part of a well-designed program yeah. to help people think about some of the underlying causes mm. uh, behaviors um, attitudes around that and how yeah. how you might be a, a catalyst for positive change in your community yeah. around that um so I think there's there's some really interesting opportunities there, and I'm hoping over the next sort of 12 to 18 months we're able to to sort of realise some of those opportunities with with unions and rugby partners around the world. That's exciting, yeah. It it's is amazing. Yeah, it when is. you started this, when you arrived allowed 20 years ago <laughs> to try and imagine where it is now, would it, you would just you must be pinching yourself. I mean, in some ways, you know. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is. It's pretty crazy. I mean, yeah. you know, you and I were lucky enough to spend a little bit of time together and. In Japan, and that that for me was like, that was just, what am I what am I doing here in Japan? With, like as part of a rugby World Cup, like it's just just to watch oh. that on TV. Like what am I what am I doing here? Well, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I know, I know you you talk about to so the branding per se not being that important, but I mean to be in Japan, eighty thousand people at the stadiums, which is pretty much sold out every stadium. To see Child Fund Fawcett back flashing up in, in black and green on the side. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Eh? It's yeah, just, it was. And, you know, and some of those, some of those photos of, you know, players that you, you respect and you, yeah. you're seeing them, you know, kicking a ball or catching a ball and then the logos in the yeah. background, it was, it's pretty good. But I think one of the, one of the strongest memories from that time in Japan where I was like, oh, wow, this is like, this is real. It was actually, it was an opening ceremony where at the last minute we got an opportunity for uh, uh, one of the players from Laos and a player from Vietnam to be flag bearers in the opening ceremony and it was just like oh. you know behind the scenes running around <laughs> trying to organize these kids who don't speak any English or Japanese to like <laughs> at this time you need to wave the flag at this time you need to go out and the, you know just 
rabbits in the headlight, but they had a great time and it was just just an incredible experience. You know, yeah. that, that opening ceremony, that uh, Russia-Japan game. Yeah. And, you know, Life-changing stuff. Amazing yeah. for yeah. those yeah. kids to have that opportunity, right? Yeah. Uh, and to represent, their, to represent their countries, you know, yeah. countries yeah. that ordinarily would, maybe wouldn't get represented on, yeah. on, this, on the world stage in rugby. Yeah. Um, but they were there and they were representing so Laos, cool. they were representing Vietnam. In 2010, uh, actually... <laughs> I was 16, but I basically almost cried because <laughs> you could apply to be a uh, like a walkout player for the uh, Football World Cup. Yep. And, you know, massive applications and that. And I got declined. Um, <laughs> in hindsight, like my privilege and I went to the games and that it wasn't something that I, I needed. But there were children that got taken from these townships and villages in South Africa to hold like Messi's hand and all of these famous footballers. <sighs> and I can just... You know, at the time I was like, I wish I got selected, yeah. but it wasn't for me. It, yeah. These kids, they, I, I can, you could just see if you watch highlights and I watch all sports now, and you see these children that get these opportunities. It just gives them a jump in there, yeah. like yeah, they they they're re-energized and they're ready yeah. to go and just do something a little bit better than they were going to do the day before. Yeah, yeah. Look, I've been I've been really fortunate to travel quite a lot with with players and coaches who've not not traveled a lot before yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's always it's always just it's always incredible to see yeah. so um but travel's given all of us so much yeah I, I, it, that's right and i think it's yeah. really you know sometimes it's been from the pr province to a capital for a lot of people we work with it's the first time they've been to the capital in yeah. places we work which is a is an eye-opener for many yeah, people yeah. And particularly if you're from a rural and remote community but then once you start sort of doing the international element yeah. like it just opens up a whole a whole new world and yeah. like I said because we've got that sort of consistency across our work coaches are able to talk to each other yeah. really easily because um, they, they're they doing the same types yeah. of things you know immediate been, bond immediate understanding that's right so some respect. of the networks that have happened sort yeah. of organically between yeah. coaches is just it's incredible and with the joys of Google Translate now people oh. can message and chat and they do all the time you know it's so great to, oh, oh you've is. been talking to such and such and oh i didn't know that yeah that's great, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. great you know it's really really interesting yeah oh that's wild eh? that's so wild and it's so i just i'm bringing it up again because maybe moving towards rugby world cup 2021 but we interviewed lorato in mamalodi which is a township just outside of south africa pretoria and her like first ever international trip was getting a call up for the Springbok women to go and play in Europe. And, she, you know, she goes and plays. I don't even think she got a cap. Well, she ran on as a wing. She's a lock, <laughs> um, you know, right at the end of one of the games, came back. She, she's re-energized. You can see in her household, her little cousins, her little sisters. And she's working 10 times harder now so that she can try and get a flight to New Zealand for the Rugby yeah. World Cup and inspire yeah. not only her team, but her community and her yeah. friends. So it's... Yeah, it's just, every level of the game. Eh? It's just yeah. every level. It's something. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, we, we've been again. We've been fortunate enough that some of the some of the girls that that came into our partnership with Lao Rugby, um, we, we had a period where they sort of moved through, and like the whole uh, under eighteen team that played at the Youth Olympic qualifiers in in Dubai a few years ago were all graduates from the program. And that, that's not why we do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's what so incredible, you know. Yeah. I got to travel with them to yeah. Dubai. Like, it was just, it was incredible to see those young women out oh. representing their country. They won three games. Yeah. Like, it was just, it was such a great weekend. So um, cool. And they oh. go back, they tell the stories. The younger yeah. sister, the friend of the younger sisters. I, I want to be like that. Yeah. Uh, I want to do that. Um, and that, that's, 
That's and how you start to create change, The privilege change, to right? be able to give people like that that opportunity is just... Yeah. Uh, and we, yeah. we're excited to get to New Zealand. Like, Well, I, I'm not sure. So 2019, you the title sponsor, official sponsor, principal spo- charity, charity sponsor, partner, partner charity sorry, not sponsor, uh, for the World Cup, Men's World Cup, um, now Women's World Cup, where we were speaking earlier that most of the people that benefit in these programs are women, although it's everyone. Yeah. Um, I'm just so excited to go during the World Cup and just like tell the story and and see, you know, like if these professional women, like they're playing there for their team, they're trying to rise women's sport, but then they're also going to get, hopefully get awareness on this child fund rugby program. And they're like, wow, we're not only now playing to like rise women's sport, we're also inspiring and we're becoming role models. South Africa is going to be playing, Fiji is going to be playing. Uh, The teams have gone from like eight to 12 now you know what who says the next world cups go to 16 and it just keeps growing so we are so excited to get to new zealand and really spread the word what yeah what are you hoping for most out of the world cup chris look i think first of all we're really we're really pleased to be appointed as the first charity partner for a women's world cup so this is the first time world rugby's done that and i think it's a significant milestone in its own right recognizes the the growing importance that's been growing attention that's being paid to women's sport, yeah. which I think is really critical. Um, I think Adam, you're absolutely right. Like that, that competition has the potential to inspire a whole new generation of players. Not only in, not only in New Zealand, yeah. right? I mean, we look at the uh, Fijian uh, Ndrua winning the Super W yeah. last weekend. It's all <laughs> I can hear from my Fijian friends yeah. is yeah. about how amazing the the women's team yeah. is. You know, they won the competition ten years ago. They might not have even so, been on the radar. Yeah, that's right. And you know that that. That stuff it does inspire. Like if yeah. you see that and you're like, oh, I can I can be like that. Yeah. I can do that. Um, and those those role models are really they're really critical in that, right? You need to yeah. see people that are from your community, speak your la- your language, understand your your experience, yeah. and that's what you're getting with these these World Cup events, right? The women in South Africa, women in Fiji, women in New Zealand. Yeah. So I, I think that that event itself is going to be, I think it's going to be a really great event. I think it's a, you know. A really strong time for uh, for women's sport, for women's rugby to really showcase itself. The competition shaping up to be a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the you know the team in New Zealand is is doing a great job of of getting that out to the public, and hopefully they're gonna you know they're gonna sell out their games. They're gonna have the biggest attendance at a at a game. I hope for the for that opening match, and then I'm sure for the final as well. Yeah. Um. So there's there's just there's a lot of excitement around it and uh, I think the tournament itself is going to be great and I'm sure you guys are going to have a have a great time <laughs> we, yeah we're uh, yeah uh, we're obviously yeah, I mean we're just I mean we we you know I, I use the expression all the time but we like pinch ourselves that we're you know we've got this opportunity to to soccer around the world um, and you know and we and we get to finish it off not just with the, you know we're not just cycling to New Zealand we're going to spend a month there um, we're going to go to every single match we possibly can. I've never been to a women's yep. a women's rugby world cup, so I mean, as like an inverted commas, the reward <laughs> just to get there. Yep. I mean, that's, that's just you know, we you don't want to. It's not about the the destin- You always say it's not about the destination, but in some ways, this journey is is very much about mm-hmm. getting to New Zealand and, and experience the world cup. And you talk about uh, Child Fund being the first charity partner of women's world cup. We're actually delighted in our small way. Um, we've also introduced the idea of a commemorative whistle for the opening game, which has never existed before. <laughs> so there's that dual, that dual overlap as well. So, um, uh, and it's and it's worked out really well. Obviously, DHL being one of the worldwide partners of the Women's World Cup, um, I know they've been a, a partner of of Child Fund Rugby for a long time, and um, you know, obviously a partner for 
29 our 2019 efforts and this year's efforts so it's it's nice to see sort of a, an alignment of um yeah what's the word uh, uh, everybody just sort of aligned you know you see yeah. that, you know we feel very supported by world rugby we feel very supported by dhl i think child you know I think Child Fund feels very supportive about both those organizations as well. So if we can sort of try and, in our tiny little way, bring that all together and to help sort of um, you know, energize that partnership that's what we're trying to do every single day. So, yeah, so. and look, the, the team, the teams at World Rugby and DHL, you know, we work very closely with them as, as you do. And yeah. I mean, I think the that's a really interesting space, that sort of that major event, yeah. corporate, yeah. social responsibility, social impact organizations. Yeah yourselves sort of raising profile yeah. raising funds like there's there's a lot of you said a lot of alignment there yeah, like yeah, there's a sweet spot give, there yeah could, yeah exactly i'm trying to i can't quite put into yeah. words but there's something there yeah it's just um, that's right and i i think that that there's a lot to learn from that because yeah. there's so much more that could be done yeah. in yeah. that space you know um and, and i think we've we've seen some really good things come from 2019 i'm sure we will from 2021 yeah. Um, you know, colleagues at DHL, I think one of the really important things for us to acknowledge with their support has been like during COVID, you know, su allowing them the support to sort of move to coaches working online. Yeah. Uh, like that, that was just, it was so invaluable because yeah. the coaches, they felt supported. You could keep them engaged. Wow. Like you said, a lot of people lost coaches and lost players from sport for good during yeah. COVID. Yeah. But keeping people engaged online, yeah. it's the best you could do in a difficult yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we kept nearly all of our coaches through that period which is or our partners kept nearly yeah. all of their coaches through that period which is which is incredible yeah. when you consider they couldn't go out and Jeez, talk actually, to players yeah, right yeah. yeah no that's well that's we're going to be seeing that this afternoon getting out there and getting a little bit of back to normal yep that's right so this afternoon you know you'll be working with a, a new group of coaches who are a little bit nervous but i'm sure they're going to do a great job they will do a fantastic um, job but it'll be yeah it'll be really good for you to for you to meet them, for you to see them in action. Yeah. I think particularly after you know your visit to Vietnam last month. Yeah. Uh, so like the next the next batch of leaders coming through here and here in Cambodia with the Cambodia Federation of Rugby. Wow. Yeah. So closing the loop from the beginning of the conversation to put in the spade in the ground. Yeah. To us going to a program. It's about 18 months later, watching coaches see the program in in Cambodia. Yeah. You know, we privileged enough yeah. to to be there on the ground, and we're going to just keep sharing the message. You know, and uh, hopefully everyone's following slowly but surely on our social media. And we always punt in Child Fund Rugby, donate, go to our website, yeah. buy a kilometer, $10 for one kilometer. Yeah. All the money will go to these programs that we all document today yeah. and show you that it's really happening. We're not losing coaches. We're working hard. Yeah. You know, Child Fund Rugby is awesome and it's yeah, such a privilege. Uh, it's, it keeps us doing what we're doing, honestly. Yeah, and look, guys, thanks yeah. so much for your support yeah. as well. I mean, you guys are putting in the hard yards I would say <laughs> um, especially at this time with all of the borders and the challenges yeah. uh, and you know Ron this is twice in a row like, yeah. thanks very much no, like, no, we we're, really uh, really appreciate it yeah, and uh, one thing Chris oh, thanks for your support but one thing we're going to ask you to do is please join us for a few kilometres at some stage in New Zealand can we get that on record <laughs> if I'm in New Zealand absolutely yeah okay we'll hold you to <laughs> absolutely. that absolutely alright Chris thanks so much mate and, you know, thanks for your hospitality the last couple of days really are looking forward to this afternoon um, and yeah, we just, I want to do whatever we can. No worries. Thanks for yeah. your time, guys. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Thanks, mate. <laughs>